1: Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. I'm on location this week. I'm not in the office, um, so I thought we'd do something a little bit different Um, here. Coming up over the next fifty-ish minutes, um, I'm going to talk to four of your favorite Hale Varsity writers: um, Brandon Bogle, and Greg Smith, then Aaron Sorensen, then Jacob Padilla. We're going to do ten minutes with each, um, and with this being the end of um, or or, uh, the latter portion of the early signing period um nebraska has the bulk of its class locked up we're gonna get some thoughts from everybody on you know what they thought of the class who they liked walk on class with jacob um aaron went and saw xavier betts greg went and saw turner corcoran we're gonna get thoughts on a bunch of different topics um so we're gonna go kind of with a little bit of whip around um to those four people but first I would like to ask you um, consider subscribing. It's a great Christmas gift. Hailvarsity.com, store.hailvarsity.com. Um and you can get a subscription. You can get a yearly subscription or you can go monthly and you can get it for 249 right now. Uh, which is 50 cents off regular and if you lock it in, you lock it in for the lifetime of your membership at 249 instead of 299 a month. It's a great deal. You get all of our premium stuff and you get a magazine in your inbox each month. I know I'm biased, um, but I think it's a pretty good deal. So consider subscribing, consider gifting it to somebody. Um, if you need or want more Huskers coverage in your life, also something to consider, subscribe to the podcast, uh, wherever you listen to it, rate, find us, rate it, review it, whatever you want. And, uh, we always appreciate feedback. So with that being said, let's get our first caller on the line. Batting lead off for us today, Brandon Vogel. How are you, Brandon?
2: I'm doing well. Leadoff was always a spot that suited me back in baseball days. I didn't have a lot of power. Uh, it was more a get-on-base-and-set-the-table guy, so I, I will happily take this role.
1: How long did baseball days last? Are we talking, like, first through fifth grade? Are we talking, like, you were a baseball player through middle school and dabbled in high school? Like, what was baseball like?
2: Yeah, so where I grew up, there is no high school baseball, so you can play Legion oh. if you want to keep going. Um but I, I think I stuck it out until I was 15. I really didn't enjoy baseball those last four or five years, but it was just kind of the thing that you did. So, so I did it that long and then kind of gladly, gladly hung up my mitt.
1: Okay. Well, uh, it's a comeback for 10 minutes only. Um, so I, I explained in the intro, but we're going to do 10 minutes with each writer from, from Hale Varsity, and we're going to talk recruiting. Uh, because that is all anybody wants to talk about this week. Understandably, understandably, early signing day happened this week. Um, Brandon, I'm going to set the timer. You got 10 minutes starting now. And the first question that I have for you is kind of a big picture. Um, What was your impression of Nebraska's ability to close this class the way that it did, considering, you know, Frost kept saying throughout the season that everybody could see what they were building, but you go four wins, four wins, and then you go five wins. And the way that they closed the back half of of 2019, um, unless you're looking at the nitty-gritty, it's kind of hard to see where the progress is. Clearly, they didn't have a problem selling progress on the trail. Were you surprised at all by their ability to close as well as they did given their performance on the field this season?
2: Yeah, I was surprised by the the degree of the close, like it, 10 days out from, from the first signing day, I was, I, I was a little bit concerned, I guess is, is the right word. You know, this, didn't look like the, the kind of class that, that they needed. Now, if you take Frost his word, based on what he said at the press conference they they had it the whole time, it was just, you know, they knew a lot of guys were, were going to be late decisions um, and based on results, you know, there's just kind of no reason to question that, but, but I certainly was. Um, so, so to see them, you know, particularly with, with some of those guys who were, who were committed to Florida schools to, to pull in a couple of those to to really hit the junior college ranks hard and you know we know that, that that can be a a boom or bust strategy it's probably not the the preferred way to go all the time but here it certainly made sense uh, I thought I thought they did well um, and Coach Frost kind of maintained throughout the season you know he got that that question a couple times as Nebraska was losing games there over the back half about hey what do you sell on the recruiting trail and it was well just just look look at the opportunity here uh, which is a card you can play a couple of times uh, i don't know the shelf life of it but it certainly seemed to work for nebraska this time around and you know i, I think ultimately it comes down to more than that pitch just kind of relationship building recruiting is always bad and they, they've got some guys that are still pretty good at that so uh we'll see. You know, I guess this is an, a really interesting baseline for them because this class is, is strong. They're, each class has been a little bit better than the last one. You know, this year, last year, pretty close. But uh, So what happens if you do start stacking results on top of it? Um, I think Nebraska's in a pretty good spot, all things considered.
1: Do you think, if you look at the recruiting class rankings for, for this specific cycle, um, you look at this year, a year ago, and then two years ago, you average the three out, Nebraska's in, in the, in a range of teams that are winning an average of eight, nine, ten games over the last three years, and they're still recruiting at a top 20 level over the last three years. Uh, the thing that you just brought up at the end is, is so interesting to me. What, I mean, what, what do you think is, the, is, do they have top 10s potential um, even with all of the recruiting limitations and the geographic limitations that that they are perceived to have, do they have top 10 class potential if they start winning games the way everybody expects Frost to win games here?
2: I would be surprised to say averaged in the top ten, but I think top 15 if if, if Nebraska starts competing for conference titles and winning conference titles you know on a regular basis. Um, I, I think I think it can get there when you combine the brand name. Yes, the the location limits you in some regards, but I mean you're kind of perf- perfect person to ask about this. But, you know, a lot of people I I view Nebraska and Oklahoma as pretty similar, <laughs> recruiting wise. Now Oklahoma's kind of always recruited better. It's closer to Texas. It, it's closer to some of those southern states. Yes, but um, you know, in terms of potential comparisons for Nebraska. Can the Huskers recruit as well as Oklahoma traditionally does? I don't think quite, but I think they could be closer than most people probably give them credit for.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great example. Um, because like, if you look, Oklahoma goes and pull has pulled five-star guys out of California. Um, and, and I mm-hmm. think the perfect kind of um, guinea pig for this is Nebraska's ability to continue recruiting Florida as well as it does. Um, they didn't have a guy from Florida in last year's class. D- yeah. Did you see that? I thought I read that wrong the first time.
2: Yeah. I remember writing about it last year because it was certainly, certainly a moment of pause given where they came from, uh, of course. And, and, and Nebraska, you know, there's three States where Nebraska tends to always get a guy and and they're the three States that California, Texas, Florida, And, and you might miss a year here or there. I think three or four years ago, they didn't have a Texas signing for the first time in 35 years or something like that. Um, but you look at it overall, I think they had six Florida guys in that first class and hit seven in this one. So 13 over three years, you know, it, it, it feels a little bit like a blip that they didn't have one there last year. But until, until they got Va, the, the junior college uh, linebacker, it looked like they weren't going to have anybody from California. And you know, and he's originally from American Samoa. So it's It's been interesting. I think I think you're going to see a, a shift eastward, and that certainly makes sense compared to kind of the, the shift westward, which, which made sense in its own way under Riley. Um, the east is just where the most recruits are. Um, so if you're asking me for, for Nebraska's best interest, choose between Florida and California, I would go Florida in general, regardless of who the coach is.
1: And it just works out that their coaches have those relationships in Florida. Travis <laughs> Fisher, obviously – the, the big winner um, of recruiting for Nebraska, he, he was, um, I would say, special in his ability to get some of the names that he got. Brandon, is there anybody specifically in that defensive back room um, that you are kind of over the moon excited about, or is your under the radar, I really like this guy, um, going to, to a different position group?
2: No, it's, it's that group again, as it was last year. And like last year, I really like the, the complement of, of defensive backs they brought in. When you look at these two classes together, there's some talented guys in that, in that group. And there's, there's kind of, you know, Nebraska loses Lamar Jackson. Um, but other than that, there's, there's no kind of clear path to, okay, well, this guy feels an exact, he, he probably plays, you know, as a redshirt, or true freshman. No, it's going to be all competition. Um, sort of the off the radar guy. I mean, H- Henry Gray, I think, is a, is a great kind of leader of that group. And in terms of guys who who committed to Nebraska and were all in, like, let me show up tomorrow, uh, he's in that group. But i really like Ronald Delaney the third, um, just athletic guy from a, a powerhouse Miami Northwestern program, uh, super athletic. I think he's a bit of a steal. I'm I'm surprised. Not totally, but his rating was a little bit lower than, than what I would have him at. I think he's going to be a really good player. So, in terms of under the radar guys uh, that I really like in this class, he's probably at the top of my list.
1: You kind of mentioned this a couple minutes ago. Do you think they're going to continue to recruit JUCO the way that they have these first three years, or do you do you the way that I've always kind of looked at it is this is this is a temporary um, way for them to kind of plug some holes. Do you think that that, that, that their strategy with Juco long term is it, well, if we need it, we'll use it, or do you think we're gonna continue to see them kind of lean heavily on Juco players the way they have these first three classes? I, I think
2: I think the need should should taper off eventually. Um, you'll always have things pop up with with surprise attrition or injuries or anything else. Um, but if the need tapers off it it should allow them to get more selective which is good because Ryan Held has all the connections you could want in those ranks and it's really successful there and and, and junior college recruiting gets a little bit of a, a a dirty name I think probably more than it should you know we look at some of Nebraska's recent JUCO signings and hasn't exactly panned out that well, but, but prior to that, you had guys like Randy Gregory, Levante, David, um, even, you know, Brandon Kenny, a a wide receiver who was, you know, not, not all conference caliber, but was really important to those teams and and filled a role. And then those, you know, those Polini defenses in 2009 and 2010 were, were really fueled by some, some junior college guys, particularly in the secondary. So if you can get to that point where you're like, this guy's really good. He's an undervalued asset, which almost all junior college players are, um, and we think we can go get him. If they can supplement their roster in that way, rather than saying, "Hey, we need linebackers who can play tomorrow," um, they'll be in a better spot. But for, for where they're at right now, the, the JUCO influx this year certainly made sense.
1: Brandon, that's ten minutes. You got to lead off double on wow. base.
2: All right. Who's coming up next? He's going to knock me in. Greg Smith <laughs> oh okay that's, that's good Greg Greg always makes contact he'll at least move me over so, Perfect. but hopefully All hopefully right. we can get get a run in no outs
1: well Brandon you uh, you've got some some big life stuff going on um, so I will <laughs> let you get back to that thank you for joining the podcast thank you Now I have Greg Smith on the line. Greg Brandon was first. He was our lead off. He got a double. He's hoping that you will bring him home. Um, like I said before, we, we've got—I've got I've got 10 minutes with each of our wonderful Hale Varsity writers. And next up is you, Greg. Usually you're sitting across from me in the office. Now we're talking over the phone. How are you, my friend?
3: I'm very well. It feels weird not to be sitting across from you and doing this. Um, so I guess I'll have to cope with that, but, but I am well, um, mostly rested and recovered from signing day uh,
1: extravaganza. I'm glad you got to sleep.
3: Yes, yeah, so am I.
1: Yeah. So, 10 minutes on the clock. I'm going to start it now. I've got a couple questions um, that I want to hit with you. Of the utmost importance, though, you went to go see Turner Corcoran in person in Kansas. How was that trip? Tell me what happened.
3: I did. Um, it, it was really cool. Like, I like one of my like low key favorite things about um, signing day or early signing day in this case is going out to a signing ceremony and kind of seeing what that's like at the high school. Um, because at the end of the day, like we forget this and all of the analysis and kind of the star rankings and what this kid can do for a class. But at the end of the day, man, it's a, a kid signing like a lifelong dream into existence. Right. So I like to get there and see those. Um, And to see the biggest one of them all in the class um, was also pretty special, too. And so it was neat to see kind of how his teammates or how his teammates and classmates interacted with them and how excited they were for him. Um, It also was, uh, uh, as I was thinking of all of that, kind of neat to see that at the same time that Turner was talking Scott Frost was talking and apparently that's when Scott Frost called Turner Corcoran a cornerstone of the whole recruiting class to which everyone in the building, it felt like ran up to Turner to tell him that uh, after he was done talking. But I asked him about that because, you know, it's, it's only last because a lot of pressure, but it's an honor for coach Frost to say something like that about me um, and to have that type of belief in me. I don't want to let him down. So it it was a really neat deal all around.
1: That's awesome. He, I mean, he, they're hoping that him and bryce Benhart are are the two cornerstones of the offense i mean both being tackles right
3: yeah like that that is the the hope is that those guys are on opposite sides. Um, one of the things to kind of keep in mind as we spend this board though, is that they also are not opposed to necessarily moving Turner into guard. And I've spoken with him about that, too. If, if that's the way that he gets on the field quickest, or as he, he said, the way that Greg Austin thinks I can help the, the team the most, um, then he will do that as well. Um, so, But the original plan is to have him play tackle along with Bryce Benhart. Um, but we'll see what happens there.
1: Can't wait. We're going to wait and see mode with that, though. I have one uh, very important follow up question. Did Turner mention anything to you about your Lakers or the Clippers? <laughs>
3: You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because all those things that happened, I totally forgot that. Yes, he did. Um, Like the first thing he said to me was like, "Hey, um, I heard that the Clippers are going to beat down the Lakers." Uh, They may have been more colorful language there. Um, I'll leave your imagination uh, for that. But yes, he did say that. which I can't repeat what I told him back. Uh, so yeah, that that did happen.
1: <laughs> that oh my happened. gosh, that's wonderful. I told him to tell you that. <laughs> it
3: was that. great. Yeah, it was, it was great. He did, after that, he did say, yeah, Derek told me to say that if we had a good <laughs> laugh about it. But he is a LeBron guy, so take
1: that. Take that, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, to be <laughs> fair, I, I, don't, I don't actually think that statement is true, but A, I wanted to see if he would say it, and B, I'm just trying to help you out. Get, get, loosen yeah, I, loosen some things up for you before you get to talking to him.
3: I, I appreciate that. You did a nice job of loosening things
1: up. That, that was fun. Not that you need any any help. Um, you've been fantastic <laughs> throughout this entire process. So if people are not reading your stuff, go to hillvarsity.com and read all of Greg's stuff. I lost track of how many things we posted um, the morning of signing day, but it was a lot. Um, Greg, I... I I want to ask you, um, now that it's all said and done and everything's in the rearview mirror, well, not everything. we've still technically got two months, but most of Nebraska's classes is, is locked up and signed um, at this point what what are kind of be what are going to be excuse me, some of your um, lasting impressions of this class? what's kind of your your you know thirty thousand feet general takeaway from from what Nebraska was able to accomplish?
3: Yeah, my, my thank you for the kind words, and I also think that our uh, coverage, kind of coming off of signing day or the first signing day, and then we're still in the signing period, has been really good too. There's some really good analysis pieces on the site um, from everyone as well. But my my big thirty thousand. 000- a few takeaways, kind of what I wrote yesterday, which is Nebraska, this is kind of the tale of two classes for me. It's the tale of the strong foundation of the class that really had been in since starting with Logan Smothers since, was that, July 28, 2018, um, that ran through the season when Marquise Black was the last in-season commit for Nebraska. You had Jimmy Aho kind of in that middle ground at the very end of the season before the um, contact period began. Um, And then Nebraska went on that huge run of all of the guys that really took the class to another level, and I feel like I wrote so many times and it feels like on a weekly basis that Nebraska has a strong foundation for this class. No one is saying that the guys in the class aren't good. They are, but they need more guys. Nebraska got more guys, and they got some really good guys um, towards the end of this cycle, um, and they finished very strong, and, and they were closing with needs. It wasn't just closing on positions that, hey, maybe they didn't need a guy at that position. They Basically, everyone was someone that they needed a, at that position. Um, so, so the tale of two classes started by the big run, which was really set the foundation for by that beginning group of the class that really stuck with um, the Huskers through thick and thin. Which you'll see kind of lay out in the Big Red Recon next week. Yeah,
1: there there was a lot of um, a lot of thin I guess if, if that's the the negative side of that phrase there a lot of thin at the end of the season um and, and you know we have talked about this a ton and and that I was curious what they were going to be able to do to close the class and w- I mean clearly they they did they had no struggles finding success um on the trail and one of the questions Scott was asked at, at his press conference was whether or not um the the reception on the trail was positive for them, and he said, "Absolutely, it was." Um, were, were you surprised at all by their ability to close the way that they did? Um, yes,
3: because I thought that the, I thought the season would have
1: more of an impact coming
3: into um, the contact period and down the stretch here, because the season definitely had an impact on their plan to really make big waves in season with the class, right? Like we know that they, and they hosted a lot of visitors um, throughout the season. And it turns out that they did fairly well, um, especially with those early official visitors. I think they hit 50% on those guys. I have a tallied up the complete number for the end season visitors. I will, um, cause that's interesting to see their hit rate. Um, but things got slowed down quite a bit in season, so I thought that that's what it would be like coming out of the season. Um, they were able to turn it around in part because of how well this staff seems to do on in-home visits, which is something that's great. Like I think moving forward, we're going to have to factor in just how good Scott Frost, Eric Shenander, Travis Fisher, Ryan Held especially, are going in in-home and closing the deal.
1: Why has this staff been so successful, Greg, recruiting in Florida?
3: I think there's a couple of reasons there. Um, the, the first one, first big one, is that they spent so much time in Florida recruiting when they were at UCF, and uh, and you hear a lot from these guys from Florida that that, that have committed to them that hey, this staff has actually been on me since they were at UCF. Um, so they were evaluating this talent then and trying to convince them to come to UCF. They were probably never going to get a Keyshawn Green to go to UCF, right? Um, just like Adrian Martinez going to the other side of the country with someone that they recruited to UCF, but Mario. Dusco has said that they really weren't going to get him right uh, to go there. So like, that's part of it. They started those relationships early. Another part of it is that this staff is very well respected in the state of Florida by high school coaches and parents. Um, that always helps. And then you've got a couple of aces in the hole, so to speak, um, on your staff there. Travis Fisher is a rock star down in Florida. Um, he is a big deal there, um, especially um, in northern Florida, where he's from. I think he was born in Tallahassee um, and went to high school not far from where Keyshawn Green, the newest uh, inside linebacker commit, um, and signee now, I should say stop saying commit um is from and so that helped him there and then sean beckton is another guy that's well respected down there remember he was down he's been down at he was down at central florida as a coach uh for years and years so he's got a lot of connections down there as well um they have a good mix on this staff of guys that can go into florida and pull players and their reputation is great and it it can still get better if the next step is to have these Florida guys start to – some of them play early, have some success, go tell their friends and family about that, then go and continue to have some success on the field, like it can get better, um, which is an exciting thing for Nebraska.
1: Yeah, uh, that that was going to be my follow-up was they didn't have anybody in the, in from Florida in the class in last year's recruiting cycle, and, and then they got a bunch of kids it seems like this season. Do you think that that's something that they're going to continue to be able to kind of – Um, build off of because of the relationships that they developed in in Florida or whether you thought that that was going to be something where now they're going to have to show progress and development with those Florida kids um, to be able to, to maintain that pipeline.
3: Sorry. Yeah, I think that they. Yeah, I think that they're going to have to show some progress to continue to maintain it. Um, but one of the things uh, too is it's also going to depend a little bit on what type of experience these guys have right away. Like I can't. I can't imagine though that Henry Gray, for example, will get here and, and not like it. Right? Like with how active he's been on social media and how many people he's been telling how great nebraska is um jade francois after the drama that was unfolded on signing day he'll be here next month by the way as well um and he's a guy that you know if he has a good experience early he'll continue to tell um his friends about it too and the thing is is that like when i say go and tell their friends there was a photo uh, Ronald Delancey and Marcus Fleming, with a kid from their high school that's a 2021 five-star inside linebacker, um, all saying GBR and all of that. Like when I'm talking about them going to tell their friends, these aren't like lightly recruited kids that they're going to tell positive things to about Nebraska. Like it really sets up nicely for them if they can take the next steps as a team um, and personally with these kids.
1: Yeah, and that kid didn't just tweet once about Nebraska. He he sent out a graphic almost immediately after that was um their their like cool um locker room picture that has the kids right. um jersey, pad, set up thing in front of his locker with his name on the back of it. He tweeted almost immediately after that picture, he tweeted the the graphic. Like he, he was all in on Nebraska.
3: Yeah. Terrence Lewis is that kid's name, and yeah, he,
1: he's, a, he's a good player, and he, he's very excited about Nebraska.
3: And so to the point where you, you almost, I have not talked to him about this, but you almost feel like Nebraska will definitely be in the mix for some sort of visit, and, and that always starts the ball rolling with those guys, especially from far away. Get them to Lincoln and, and see if you can roll from there.
1: Yeah. Greg, I'm sure you've got work to do. You're, you're cooking up a Turner-Corcoran thing, um, so I'll, I'll let you get back to it. Thank you for joining the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Now on the line we have Aaron Sorensen. Aaron, how are you today?
4: I'm good. I'm good. TGIF or TGI whatever day, whoever is listening to this.
1: Well, I hope they're all listening to it on Friday. The hope is that they listen to it the second it comes out.
4: That's true. But it's it's understandable with the holidays if they're traveling and they're saving it for a drive. I get it.
1: That's true. This could be a Christmas podcast this year. Happy holidays if that's
4: holiday pod ho- Holiday podcast.
1: Yeah, there you go. Husker um,
4: holiday, hail Varsity holiday podcast.
1: <laughs> it's a little bit of alliteration that we could work in there. Um, Aaron, mm-hmm. we've got 10 minutes on the clock. I'm going to ask you some signing day related recruiting questions because that is the talk of the town right now. Nebraska closed strong on the recruiting trail. Um, so like I have said uh, with everybody else, we are going – 10 minutes with each of the wonderful Hale Varsity Riders, um, and I'm picking your guys' brain on on what you thought of this class, um, the way they closed, and kind of moving forward. So I'm going to start the clock now. Aaron, the first thing that we're going to start with is Xavier Betts. Um, he, he was not expected to sign early. He was expected to sign in February. And then all of a sudden it comes out that, oh, wait, he is signing. He signed a day later than everybody else. But um, he's in. He's signed. Uh, You got to go to his his signing day ceremony. Kind of walk us through how how this all happened.
4: Yeah, it sounds like you know, you got to give a lot of credit to the people at Bellevue West that have been working very diligently with him to get his academics where they needed to be. Uh, It sounds like one of the classes that was particularly rough was a psychology class, but he's been putting in a ton of work doing what has been asked of him. And so because of that, Scott Frost called him yesterday and basically said, you know, we feel good about where things are, so we're going to give you the green light to sign they had originally told told him, you know, let's hold off. Let's make sure things are good. Betts actually agreed with it. He said "I." he was planning on February, maybe May. He understood it. He got it. He wasn't even sad. He was just excited for what was happening. But then yesterday afternoon was walking through the hallways of his high school, got a phone call from Scott Frost saying, you're good to go. Let's do this thing. And at 3.08 p.m. on Thursday, he signed and sent his letter of intention to Nebraska. Now, he still has a lot of work to do. He has a spring semester, but he feels very motivated. And one of the things that really drives him is not letting people down. So now that now that they have sort of extended this olive branch of we believe in you, he really feels like he's not in a position that he can slack off, take any time off. So it, it was a very emotional day for the people around him. He kept smiling, this big smile. You can just tell how much it meant to him and it'll be he's he's planning on getting on campus in June so you know it'll be a it'll be a quick five months for him really working his butt off but uh it seems like it worked out best case scenario for everyone involved
1: yeah absolutely and he's a huge piece of this class he's a huge piece of what they want to do a wide receiver going forward and he's just Um, a huge wide receiver (laughs) that too that too that helps um everything that Greg Smith has told us is that the plan all along for him was that things would be sorted out, and he would be good to come to Nebraska. It was just he was going to be signing in February and not now, but um Greg Smith assured people that things were good with him, and it sounds like this is another case of a kid who knows what needs to be done and isn't just kind of slacking off and saying oh that that's that's future um me's problem.' It sounds like that Bets was in a situation where he knew what needed to be done and he was willing to put in to, put in the work to get those things accomplished. It's always easy to root for for kids like that when when you know that um they're putting in the work. And I think that that's why I probably I I think that's probably why Scott and and this coaching staff have confidence in him. Would you um how do you, how do you, would you agree with that?
4: Yeah, I think the thing that I really that really struck me about him is he as he was watching the Wednesday and I think that there's two pieces to this. Not only was he watching his future classmates sign all across the country, Bellevue West had a big signing day ceremony on Wednesday that he didn't get to be part of. And, you know, while he said it, it he wasn't upset he wasn't sad. He wasn't feeling down on himself about it. He still, it, it still was something where I think he felt like he was going to be left out. Like he wasn't going to get to be part of this. And I think, knowing now that they've given him this chance to be part of it, it means so much to him that it is easy to root for him because he sees, okay, this is what hard work does. And his coach even said, he, throughout his high school career, he kind of had to come to terms with how to stay, stay above when he wanted to feel down about himself or wanted to not do the work. And he said it was actually in September of this year he was late on turning an assignment, something, something happened. And uh, his coach was pretty upset with him. And he said, you know, that was my bad, my bad. That was totally on me. And he said like, that was the first time he's ever really taken ownership over something. So it really clicked for him. We'll have way more on it on hail over the weekend um, because his story is really cool. And it just seems like somebody who the light bulb went off and, he never let it dim at that point, and he's pretty much full steam ahead now. Which, you know, it seems like once he's got something in his mind that he's going to be good at it, and he's going to he's going to keep true to his word. It's not going to change. That is what he's going to do.
1: And everyone, rightfully so, is really excited about um, about Bets. They're excited about uh, his classmate at wide receiver, another a big guy um, that everybody was hoping to get to campus. Omar Manning. People are excited about. Um, the outside linebacker and Keyshawn Green. People, people are generally excited about this class, and rightfully so. This is a really good class that Nebraska signed. Um, context included. It's a tremendous finish for them on, on the recruiting trail. Um, Aaron, I, I have a question for you that I've kind of been wondering ever since, um, kind of the run up to signing day, and, and and you know, kind of what we experienced on signing day. Um, it, 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 now the question becomes for this class: what what can they do in year one? um and what will they do in year 1 what's what's fair to expect from this class because you know when we look at the this is the second top 20 class that Nebraska has signed in a row but the top 20 class last year um they early enrolled a wide receiver and he only played in one game and didn't make a catch um the running backs that they that they signed the freshman running backs that they signed had a minimal impact the only person that really and truly impacted play as a true freshman was Wondell Robinson. Now, Luke McCaffrey had moments throughout the season, but um, the bulk of that class was redshirted um, and given time to develop. And you could say the same thing about the 2018 class, the guys that there, I'm thinking about guys like Casey Rogers and Tate Wildeman and Braxton Clark. Um, those guys have been kind of slow played. And, and you have said all along, Frost has has viewed the first two-ish years now of his tenure with an eye towards the future. Do you think that will continue this year? Or do you think that, um, you know, Nebraska is still maybe experimenting or tinkering with the red shirt rule and that we we could expect to see a little bit more uh, from true freshmen this year, as opposed to last year?
4: I, you know, unfortunately we won't know until the season rolls around and frost does or does not. He kind of show us what's going to happen with red shirts. But honestly, I think if he has been looking toward the future the last couple of years, which is how I have felt about it, this is the time where he has to start looking at the now. It has to, it has to start – Nebraska has to start utilizing some of these players. And in the case of this recruiting class, take Xavier Betts, for instance, and Omar Manning. Those two are the wide receivers they need. They need the big-body receivers who have the length and who have the speed to get down the field, who can get above – uh, the defensive backs now for Xavier Betts. You know the defensive backs in the Big Ten and at the NCAA level are a, bit, a little bit different than um, those he faced in, in high school. But still, they need that. They need those receivers. So Omar Manning and Xavier Betts better be utilized. And I mean, there it would be a it would be a waste, in my opinion, not to get some of those those wide receivers that they really need. Going, I think, you know, there's some spots like Turner Corcoran is an amazing athlete, one of the highest rated players ever at Nebraska, um, coming into Nebraska, but it is hard to step into an offensive line as a true freshman and make a difference. So I imagine we'll still see a red shirt there. Um, But there are just some spots where linebacker, uh, wide receiver, where there's no more looking toward the future. They need to be making impacts now. And while I, I, none of us will know until Frost shows us directly, I think he knows that. I think getting Xavier Betts to sign during the early signing period is a testament to we see him on the field early, right away next season because we want him to be on campus the second he can get there. So I think, I think we should see more from this class, and this class has a lot of playmakers in it. So why not just rip the Band-Aid off, let it go? What's the I, worst that will happen? <laughs>
1: yeah. I agree with you on that. Um who's a who's a guy outside of like the you know, you mentioned Turner Corcoran. He's he's really close to a five star rating right now. Um Omar Manning obviously everybody loved and everybody wanted. Who who's a guy that's maybe that you think is a little bit unheralded or undervalued in this class that you're a big fan of?
4: Well, I mean, he's not he's not undervalued at all, but I would say Xavier Betts probably got a little bit um just because people weren't People kind of weren't expecting him to sign till February. Uh, now that he is signed, you stand next to him. He's exactly the type of receiver that they want. Same thing as Omar Manning. So I like Xavier Betts. But I will say we've talked about this, this individual a little bit. I really like Henry Gray at cornerback. The reason that I have a ton of respect for Gray and not knowing what he will or will not do this next season, but just from a leadership standpoint, especially with his class, when he committed in September, it kind of felt like everything just fell away around him very quietly. He wasn't, he was no longer getting all the attention, but he stayed committed to Nebraska. He shut his recruitment down and he started peer recruiting a lot of those Florida athletes that are now in this class. He was an incredible, incredibly vital piece to making this class happen, but he did so really in an unheralded way. People weren't talking about him. So I like what Henry Gray could bring to this team, one, from a talent perspective, but two, just a personality and a leadership perspective. So Henry Gray is somebody, and then... I. Every single person Travis Fisher brought in, everyone should be excited about because Travis Fisher is the MVP of this recruiting class. And so you could just go down the list of Francois. I mean, you could just make a case for so many people in this class. But um, I think that's actually kind of fun because for once, we're not just honing in on one or two guys. Like Everyone talked about Wandale last year, and rightfully so. And obviously he wasn't it, but there's just, this feels like a class of a lot of really special athletes. And that's what you need if you're eventually going to compete for the Big Ten West title, the Big Ten, hopefully someday going further than that. But you've got to have classes that aren't reliant on just one or two really special players, but ones where we're all going, well, I guess you could talk about this guy or this guy or this guy. That's a good thing. And I like that every time you ask that question, everyone seems to have different answers about who they really like
1: well you say that but you and brandon now have both picked henry gray as somebody that you you really really like
4: but we've all been talking let's just take it like if you go to twitter and ask the same question there would be a slew of different answers we've just all been talking to each other so we've got brand synergy yeah that's that's the problem with us
1: (laughs) yeah all right aaron you got some bets stuff um that you're cooking up so i'll let you get back to what you're doing thank you for joining the podcast
4: of course, thank you.
1: Now on the line, Jacob Padilla. Jacob's going to close us out. Jacob, how are you?
0: I'm doing well, Derek. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
1: I'm glad that you're here. Um, it's it's weird being in a different state from everybody else and having to um, call everybody else on the phone. Whenever you're on the podcast or Greg's on the podcast, you are sitting across from me and or, or in front of me. Uh, and that is not the case this time. So it's a little strange, but um, thank you for, for taking
0: some time. Yeah, I mean, we, we've done this setup a few times before. Usually you're in the same state, but maybe not the same city. So not too different.
1: So um, we are here to talk, as I have said with um, everybody else so far, we're here to talk recruiting. You can have 10 minutes. I'm going to get the clock started now. And I've got a couple questions, a uh, couple key questions that I would like to hit on, Jacob. With you first, um, I want to ask you about Isaac Gifford and the situation with him. He's taking a blue shirt at Nebraska. Um, you ha- have spoken with him. Um, you know the Gifford family well. F- for for people listening that haven't read your story, they should read your story. By the way, um, tell us what his what Isaac's situation is and kind of um, why Nebraska for him.
0: Okay, so the blue shirt situation is basically allowing them to sneak him into the class without having him count towards the 2020 scholarship count. So what they're going to do is he is going to pay his own. Way. He's enrolling early. He's graduating uh, from Lincoln Southeast here shortly, and will enroll for the January in January. So the uh, he'll have to pay his own way for the spring and summer as a walk-on and then he'll get a scholarship as soon as fall camp starts and he'll have to sit out the first year but um he'll, he, he won't be a walk-on for very long and this I think that, he, he's a guy that Nebraska has obviously been tracking for a while and has liked but the thing that's been hurting him is the fact that Travis Fisher is the best recruiter on the staff and, They got a bunch of four-star DBs the last few classes, and their hit rate on their top guys at defensive back has been pretty high. So they weren't quite sure if they were going to have room to give him a scholarship, and he's a guy that had Wyoming offer, had Air Force. He was seriously considering he wasn't a guy you were going to be able to get as a traditional preferred walk-on. And for a while there, he wasn't quite sure where he did stand with them. They... Again, they had him down for all for a bunch of visits, uh, went to a bunch of the games, but the offer never came. So then he came down and sat with Scott Frost and, and the coaches and kind of talked it out. Now and they offered this blue shirt option that he had never heard of before, and he decided to take it. He's obviously Nebraska for him has always been home. Um, he does want to kind of continue the his brother's legacy, um, but as his own guy. that's He's kind of relied on Luke throughout this process, but Luke wanted to make sure that he made his own decision and just kind of stayed out of it unless Isaac asked him directly for advice and certain things. Um, so this is just kind of a story where Isaac believes in himself, he's betting, uh, and he wants to go down and kind of show that he deserved the scholarship all along but he's happy to take this route to make it happen.
1: Remind me again, Luke Gifford started as a defensive back, didn't he? And then he transitioned down to linebacker.
0: Yep, he was a safety uh, when he arrived. And Luke, uh, Luke was pretty skinny, but he was a little longer and leaner. Isaac, like if you've ever seen him, he is jacked already. Like, Dude has never missed a day in the weight room. So he, He's listed at 6'1", 190, I believe, so he's already got... A little bit different frame than his brother and he's pretty athletic, so they're they're somewhat similar, but also a little different. I don't think he's gonna sprout up another three inches like Luke did, but so he can play a little um of kind of like sub package linebacker, but he's primarily a safety at this point, I believe.
1: Okay, that's what I that was gonna be my follow-up question is do you see him because like you said he is joining a loaded D B room that is probably gonna continue to be loaded next year when Travis Fisher recruits another Great DB class because that's just what Travis Fisher does. Um, do, do you see him kind of being a guy that can move around a little bit um, if the situation presents itself? I'm trying to look up JoJo Doman's um, measurables. He is a six foot one, two thirty five guy playing their kind of nickel outside linebacker role. Do, is is that a, is that a position that you see potentially? In Isaac Gifford's future, or do you think that kind of his vibe from them has been he, he's going to be a defensive back for them?
0: Yeah, I think uh, the plan is to play safety, but I think they, they like that versatility that he offers. I, um, we'll see what kind of weight they can put on Like I said, he's already spent a lot of time in the weight room, um, got a lot of muscle on his frame. So we'll see kind of what Zach Duvall does with him in terms of bulking him up like they did with Jojo Doman. But he's a guy that's got the speed and got the strength to uh, potentially play in kind of multiple spots online. I don't I don't necessarily see him growing into a full-time outside linebacker like uh, Doman has, but kind of down the line when they do need to kind of go with sub-packages. They've got a few guys like that that are kind of tweeners between linebackers and safeties with, with good size, and he kind of fits that mold. Who else from this walk-on class do you like? Yeah, the, they, they got really creative with some, of, uh, with some of these walk-on kids that end up landing them. Obviously, Isaac is the first, and he's only a short-term walk-on. And the other guy that they kind of offered a special deal to is Ty Han, the receiver out of Johnson Brock. And he's going to walk on for like a year and a half, uh, and then kind of the plan is to get him on scholarship uh, based on what he's told Greg. Um, so, so that's a deal where this is a kid that he had offers to go elsewhere. Um, Nebraska hasn't offered him a full scholarship. It was kind of, he, he was one in kind of in that same mix. It seemed like Isaac Gifford, Ty Han and Tyson Gordon were the three guys that were kind of right in that, like in between space between a walk on and scholarship target. And they, with the, but the way they closed this class, uh, they just didn't have the space to offer sco- full scholarships to all three of those guys. And Tyson ended up sticking with his North Dakota State commit, and he'll have a great career there. But um, they got creative in Manchalan, Isaac, and Ty. I, I think Ty's a really good athlete. I, I watch him play basketball a lot. Um, I've seen him play football in the state tournament, and he just tore it up in that game. He's a guy that he's played eight man. So it's always kind of hard to project that. I know he's done some seven on seven stuff. I haven't necessarily seen kind of how he's looked at any camps or anything like that, but he, because of that, I think the competition level, he's been somewhat of a tough projection in terms. And I think that's kind of why he was in that in between mold, but he's another guy that I think um, could potentially work his way into the mix down the line, just because his athleticism and, ability at, at that receiver spot and he, he's played defensive back as well so he's kind of got that versatility and then one other guy that I'll toss out is Grant Tagge kind of the Husker legacy um, he uh, he is he's, he's a really talented kid linebacker he's got great instincts um, he, he's strong and he actually had FBS offered him, uh, Northern Illinois offered him and he turned that down to walk on at Nebraska as he was pretty much determined, like, that's what he wanted to do. This is where he wanted to be. Um, so he's a kid that, again, just another great kid. He hasn't been promised a scholarship like the other two guys, but he's one of those kids that uh, I wouldn't at all be surprised to see he kind of work his way onto the field in special teams. And maybe he kind of grows into that, like, Uh, Joseph Johnson, Jacob Weinmaster type role where maybe at some point he'd see the field on defense.
1: Jacob, I asked this question of Greg um, and I'm really curious what, what your thoughts are going to be on it. Um, Now that we are through or mostly through the early signing portion, Nebraska has got most of its class locked up, a a huge majority of its class locked up and signed Um, with this thing kind of over, barring late drama. Um, What are going to be some of your lasting impressions of this class? What are kind of your um, overall big-picture takeaways from what Nebraska was able to accomplish?
0: Yeah, this is an interesting class, just kind of the way it played out. And they got off to such a great start, landing kind of those cornerstone pieces of the classes early with guys like Turner Corcoran and Logan Smothers uh, and Nash Hutmaker and guys like that. And then they went... Pretty quiet for a long time there. People were starting to worry about the class. And the heck, Scott Frost himself even admitted, yeah, <laughs> we, we got a little anxious there for a while. But they ended up sticking to their guns. They bet on themselves to finish this thing strong. And, and they kind of stuck with, hey, we're going after these guys. We're not going to take somebody that we know we can get to commit just to fill the spots. We're going to leave these spots open. We're going to go hard after these kids. And they had a heck of a haul on signing day, only missing out on one or two guys that I think they really wanted at the end. So I think this is just their ability to close on this class and their confidence in themselves that they were going to be able to do that as opposed to like kind of panicking and throwing out a couple offers or accepting guys um, from lower on their board. They stuck with it to finish strong and now we've got another top 20 class.
1: Yeah, they're, they're... They finished strong, absolutely, um, and, and continuing to grow and continuing to uh, to keep improving year over year. Um, there's now three straight years of, of improving recruiting class rankings. Jacob, you came in under 10 minutes. Congrats. Nice. You and Brandon were the only ones that did that. Greg and Aaron both went
0: over. Well, Greg, at least I understand. Aaron, come on. <laughs>
1: Jacob, you got work uh, to do, I'm sure. So I'll let you get back to it. Thank you for joining the podcast and and talking walk-ons. It's your area of specialty.
0: Yep. Uh, You asked me about Nebraska kids. I'm actually surprised I kept it under 10 minutes. But uh, that is my niche. Yes, it very much is.
1: Uh, That's it for the podcast this week. We will be back next week with another podcast. Until then, just keep reading ALVarsity.com. Thanks, guys.